his mind. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author of A List of Demonic Names, A Pocket Guide for the Paranormal Investigator, Exorcist, Psychic, and Metaphysical Practitioner, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find Ginger at tarotbyginger.com. She is a tarot reader, psychic, and medium. And you can Insult her for if you have major decisions or want to know what's going to happen next in your life, or if you just want to do a reading for fun, you can talk to her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Ken W. Stone, the sole archaeologist, architect, something like that. <laughs> How are you? I'm glad to be with you, Gary. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. <laughs> Archaeologist, I was right. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, at least oh, I didn't say great. arc welder, right? <laughs> hey, man, whatever. <laughs> whatever flows. It's all good. So I was just watching your video on the website. Um, it looks like you're really into uh, manifesting. Yeah, I'm. What I'm into is um, helping people understand that at the the late stages of that stage of consciousness, that the idea of manifestation or the process of creation becomes the barrier mm-hmm. to deeper integration. So. It's sort of interesting, right? Because at least the way I see it, we move through these different developmental stages in consciousness and we're born, let's say, into this kind of clean slate and maybe we remember some of who we really are. My language, an undistorted expression of divinity. Maybe we experience everyone that way in some way. And then we run into some challenges. We're victimized in some way. It's a universal experience, but the particulars change from person to person. And we shift from that lens to a disempowered and unintegrated or separate perspective. And some people live their whole lives in that perspective. You know, things are happening to me. There's good and evil. I want to be on the side of good and so on. And some people are able to make the transformation into stage two, where they really take responsibility. It's up to me to create this life. I'm the author of what's unfolding in my life, etc. And in stage two consciousness, manifestation is a huge part of that, right? It's, I'm creating my dreams. I want to live this reality that I have dreamt up, these ideas, these experiences 
that I think are going to be fulfilling. And what I was talking about on the video is that there's a glass ceiling in late stage two where we think this is it. This is the thing that's going to deliver us a fulfilling, meaningful experience. And whether we're able to manifest whatever we want or not, it doesn't matter. We are not fulfilled because what we're creating, we're creating from a perspective of separation. We think we're separate from others, ourselves, divinity, and so on. And so everything that we're creating in that place of separation is imbued with separation. And so, you know, I, I've i worked with people who are master manifestors in my private practice. And one of their questions is, I can have whatever I want. I've been doing all this inner work. Why am I so unhappy? Why am I so unfulfilled? And the answer from my perspective is there's an opportunity to to shift into another stage of consciousness. And the key to that shift is actually one of letting go of control, of surrender. And that is a, a challenging barrier. It's sort of the same kind of challenge that people who are in a disempowered perspective are thinking, how could I possibly be empowered? All these people are doing stuff to hold me down kind of thing. Or, you know, I never get ahead. I never, whatever. We all have different stories and narratives in, in that disempowered perspective. And I'm not trying to minimize that perspective. I'm simply saying in the transition to an empowered perspective, it's in one sense improbable and profound. And it's mm-hmm. just as improbable and profound to move from stage two into stage three. Um, and we're going to get there sort of whether we we choose it before our transition or it happens after our last breath, one way or the other, the separate self is going to realize I'm not separate. Right. <laughs> you know, there's something bigger than me. So, so if the self is not separate, what is the self? Does the self even exist? You know, I mean, I think there are lots of different ways to think about this. I mean, the way that I conceptualize it is I think of in the process of integration, we have, there's a whole self that's integrated and there's a separate self, which is really the whole self. It just is having an experience of separation and it's an illusory dynamic, but it's a pretty darn compelling illusion. And it's, I mean, one of my people in my community uses the term consensus reality to describe the separate cosmology, because that's what most people think is real. You know, we're not, we're not one We're not connected to each other. We're not connected to divinity and so on and so forth. So, I mean, a discussion on the self, it seems to me, can open a rather um, extensive rabbit hole about, you know, defining terms and what does this and that mean. And for me, I think language holds uh, a wonderful role in terms of being a placeholder for something that's much deeper than language. And on this level, it seems to me, meaningful to deploy terms like whole self and separate self if for no other reason than to try to understand or put into context let's say my own behavior the behavior of my life or behavior of other human beings or humanity or you know why do people do things that are cause pain and so on to other folks and so on and so forth you know there's just a whole range of and a continuum of human behavior and from my perspective the illusion of separation is the 
is the explanation for why human beings behave in such different ways, the discomforts associated with separation. And so I've sort of come up with this moniker of the separate self as a way of trying to mm -hmm. understand what that behavior or what that perspective and motivation is really if for no other reason than to just understand my own journey spiritually. And then I do a lot of teaching and work with groups and so on. And so I utilize it in that fashion. So what is your own journey? Like, like how did you go from, you know, feeling separate from everything to where you are now at that, I guess like the third level of consciousness that you're talking about? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's in a way it's just sort of living life, just like everyone is living life. And I mean, you know, my particular journey involves all sorts of different things, right? Just like everyone's does. I would say one of the turning points for me was, um, happened in the span of, I was maybe 12 months actually between the fall of 2006 and the fall of 2007. And I'm, I would consider myself still a recovering control freak <laughs> type A personality. And so, you know, I was always trying to look for ways to exert more control in my life and, you know, cause the outcomes that I wanted to happen and experience. And I was working in financial services at the time. And uh, a buddy of mine said, Hey, I've got this movie you've got to see. And I said, okay. And we, we've been friends for a long time and he would recommend books or whatever. And, so he loaned me this movie called The Secret, and I watched it. It was the first edition of it with, um, um, how come I can't think of her name right now? Who's the, um, the Law of Attraction channel? Who channels Abraham? Can't think of her name right now. But anyway, you know who I'm talking about? Anyway. I've seen the movie, Esther but I don't remember. Esther Hicks is the, is the one I'm trying to talk about, the name I'm talking. So Esther was actually in the first edition of the movie. A lot of people don't know that. And so I watched the first edition of the movie with Esther Hicks being interviewed and channeling and so on. And I thought, okay, <clears throat> here we go. Here's the key to having life the way I want it to be. And so I, I'd studied philosophy in college and I thought, this whole channeling thing, it seems like a bunch of bunk to me, but there must be some, you know, intellectual foundation for what's going on here. And these people are just pretending to be channeling because nobody really channels. That's how I thought at the time, at least. And so, you know, I started doing all this research and looking up different uh, sort of the philosophical thread and discovered new thought and kind of went back to um, a book that Charles Honnell's, um, Honnell wrote in the late 1800s. It was actually a self-study course at the time. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. It's called uh, The Master Key System. Do you know that book? No. no. It's a really powerful book, uh, especially if you're interested in kind of honing the power of visualization. And so I was reading Honnell's book and doing the visualization exercises in it. Mm -hmm. and, and there's another book that I was reading during that time as well. Uh, which is by Maxwell Maltz called uh, Psycho-Cybernetics. It was written in the 60s. He was a plastic surgeon. He talks about the theater of the mind. So anyway, I'm reading these books. I'm doing all this visualization work, and in comes this kind of spontaneous question. What is my purpose? And so I start asking it, you know, what is my purpose? And I'm in financial services, so I think, 
well, I already know what my purpose is. So why am I asking this? My purpose is to help people optimize their financial assets and blah, 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 you know, whatever, whatever it was for me at the time. And, and I'm not trying to minimize where I was with the importance of that. I'm just saying that's what I thought it was, even though I was asking the question. And then I learned to meditate for the first time in August of 07. And then I went to a in-residence meditation retreat in September. And a fellow participant at the close of that retreat wrote on a piece of paper, you should be working as a healer. And I didn't even know what a healer was. And it, it really brought up kind of a soul sob for me. I, I cried and kind of uncontrollably in a way I never had before. It was strange. And we came out of silence and he said, you're going to discover you've done this in many prior lifetimes and this is more natural than breathing for you. And I thought, something isn't right with this guy. Like, is there a psych ward nearby? Or, I mean, even as I'm crying. And and then I hired him to do a trance reading with me and a couple of days after Christmas. And I came out of that with a really clear idea, this message that I had got from him, or at least it's what I heard him say, which was, you know what you're doing? You don't need to be trained. Just go do this. And so that, that caused a wholesale shift in my life that took, I mean, in some ways it's still unfolding, right? But it took probably two and a half years for me really to work through that enough to be able to kind of move to a deeper level and, and really kind of own it in a public way, which happened in uh, August of uh, 2010. And I mean, I wonder if you've had this experience too. I mean, I, I sort of feel like the, the label here is like being a spiritual messenger. You just sort of step in to some deeper purpose and you start talking about or communicating or, or working on things in a different way. Maybe it changes your career. Maybe it doesn't. In my case, it did. That process really brought up a lot of deep stuff that I hadn't been aware of consciously before. And so as that was coming up for me to attend to, at the same time, I'm doing session work with people. And I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but I mean, the kinds of things that were happening when I was working with people were just absolutely astonishing. And initially it was very upsetting and hard for me to accept that that was happening because I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just sort of with people and my hands and feet would buzz and then they would be healed of all sorts of different things. And um, so that kind of inner journey of sort of stepping into a purpose that maybe I wasn't ready for or I was ready for, but not consciously. And then sort of all the work in the interim years have really kind of accelerated that, that journey of integration of sort of recognizing these different expressions within myself and recognizing them within other people and, and then kind of working through that developmental progression within myself in, um, at the end of 2010, I left mortgage lending behind as a, as a way of making a living. And I was almost homeless in 2011. I mean, I, I thought I was following divine guidance and, um, I had started making a little bit of money from doing online group session work at the end of 2010. And so I thought, oh, this is the perfect time. I'm getting guided and so on. And so early in 2011, I was really in a very agitated space because I felt like I was following guidance, but I didn't feel supported. I, I felt like, what's happening here? Why is this all disappearing? And so as I continued doing a lot of inner work, 
I mean, if you'd asked me at the time, what are your issues, Ken? I would have said my issues are money and love. And then I took an Enneagram class and I realized <laughs> there's only one thing here and it's love. And money, I'm just seeing as a, an expression of love. And so then I knew, okay, I've got this one thing. And I mean, you know, I could have made a good run at the uh, Olympic gold for type A controlling personality at the time. So, I mean, I had, I had gone to the lengths of the earth to try to find a way to create an experience of love that made sense to me within myself, within relationships, and all these different ways, professionally, personally, on and on. And none of them were fulfilling for me. And I realized and I was having a pretty kind of a sharp contrast between that experience, which was really hard for me. And when I was in session with people, I mean, just this profound experience of love. I mean, this profound experience of presence and incredibly meaningful things were happening for the people that I was working with. And so the contrast between those two just grew sharper and sharper. And I started to realize I may not know, have the answer, but I'm going to guess the divine does. And it's not even like the divine for me is some remote idea. I have this very intimate relationship with divinity, um, but I, I don't want to surrender. <laughs> you know, I don't want, I don't want to turn my life over, even though that's what I did every time I went into session. I mean, when I work with people, then is now no intention, no anything. It just happens. Just. Now, all of a sudden, we're having this experience. And so, yeah, when it came to really kind of coming down to surrender, I I was in a lot of resistance. I felt like if I let go of control, I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to die. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. You know, all these things that my empowered separate self was imagining or projecting would happen. And so what I did is I started visualizing those things as real. I started saying, okay, God, you're going to make me homeless. So I would visualize myself as homeless. I live in Colorado and uh, I'd say, okay, now I'm homeless. And I'd sit down and of course I'd done the Honol book. So I knew how to visualize. And so I'm visualizing homelessness and I picked the bridge and, you know, I go through this whole process and I didn't take it lightly. I really went into it. And then, and then I would feel this kind of, relaxation throughout my body, like, oh, okay, I, I don't have to struggle with that anymore. And then I would, now what am I going to resist? What's the problem? And maybe it was, I'm going to be hungry. And so then I, you know, I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, lots of restaurants, I'm sure there's plenty of day old food. So I just went through the list, you know, I visualized the next thing. Okay, now what am I worried about? I'm going to be cold. I've got warm clothing. I'll take it with me when I'm homeless, you know, like just like that. And it wasn't just about homelessness. I went through it with everything. You know, I'm never going to see my kids again. I blah, 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 whatever all the things were. And I got to a place where I had accepted all the things I could dream up that were nightmares or whatever it was that I was in resistance to. And when I was no longer in resistance to that, what I felt was a sense of freedom because I had been so worried about those things happening, my whole life was oriented around resisting them or solving for them or manifesting something that would solve it. And 
And then I surrendered. I actually scheduled it. I scheduled my surrender 10 days before it happened. I blocked it out on the calendar and I, and so, you know, for me, this is a living experience. It's not just an idea. It's not, it's not, I'm not teaching or working from a tradition. I'm not parroting what somebody else has said or something I've learned in a book. I'm sharing from my own experience and from the experience of the lives of the people that I've worked with and interacted with. And along the way, these downloads have come in, you know, here's this practice, here's this experience, teach this, et cetera, et cetera. And so as I'm living this, I am in the process of integrating and, you know, doing that work within myself, even as I'm walking with the people that, you know, I've been fortunate to walk with, teach work with one-on-one, work in circle, and so on. So, <clears throat> how, I mean, what's the point of manifesting stuff if you have to let it go anyway? <laughs> right? Many people have asked me that question. <laughs> There's no point. <laughs> I think there is a point, Gary. I, I think, I think the, I mean, I think there's a point to each stage of consciousness, right? I think even though the experience of stage one is pretty crappy, there's a point and there are gifts and there is perspective and, and we're developing something. Something is being developed. Just like when we're born, we learn to sit up, crawl, walk, run, so on. And the disempowered and unintegrated developmental phase is the perfect setup for phase two for stage two where we're empowered and but notice the differentiator here is that it's unintegrated and if we fast forward to three it's an experience of wholeness that's unintegrated and then there's stage four where everything's integrated but the thing is in stage four there's this imagining i think that many human beings do that engage in, and we, we think, or at least I've had the thought, when I'm fully integrated, you know, cotton candy's gonna fall out of the sky, and, you know, the heavens are gonna open up, and whatever, you know, there's a lot of discussion in, in uh, the spiritual community more broadly, you know, there's this fifth dimensional experience, and we're ascending, and, you know, there's all this kind of language that gets used to describe this experience of full integration. And, I mean, these things don't really resonate with me. I, I think if we look at our lives, we have disempowered and unintegrated, empowered and unintegrated, and and whole and unintegrated experiences. And then we integrate, and we have disempowered experiences that are now integrated. And we have empowered experiences that are integrated. And we have whole experiences that are integrated. And it's really beautiful and incredible, and there are disempowered experiences still. And so if you think about like the stages of consciousness, stage one is kind of a lookalike to stage three. And stage two is a lookalike to stage four. And so a lot of people who are focused on manifestation or teaching manifestation, it seems to me, can tend to talk about it as if the manifestation is a result of integration. And when we manifest, incredible things can happen. But when we do it from an unintegrated place, it's like eating from a buffet that we just end up hungrier after we eat. We, we're never fulfilled. Mm -hmm. But it's a preview because in the integrated experience, there's an opportunity for those empowered experiences again. So 
one way to think about this developmental progression is it's like we're building muscles. So, but as we're going through the process, I mean, I just did a virtual retreat earlier today and maybe it happened earlier today. For sure, it happened two weeks ago on another virtual retreat. Somebody said, why developmentally, you know, they were having this disempowered and unintegrated experience and they're saying to me, what do I do next? And I said, well, there's a, the next stage in the progression is to be empowered. And the key to that transition is to take responsibility. So it seems to me the invitation, if you're asking my perspective, the invitation is to take responsibility for this dynamic in your life and to practice an empowered perspective. And this person said, well, why the heck would I do that if I'm just going to have to surrender it? And I said, well, first of all, because that's the developmental progression. It's like saying, why am I going to walk if I'm just going to end up running later? I mean, you can't run if you don't walk. You cannot surrender if you ha if you aren't empowered. Somebody who's in a disempowered place who thinks, okay, I'm going to surrender to the divine. And they say, okay, God, take over my life. The experience they have is of being a bigger victim. They're, they're more disempowered. Their experience is, God hasn't done anything for me. God still abandoned me. Just more crappy stuff's happening to me. This is just more of the same. And now God's in on this too, the way I always thought. He, she, it was in on it. Doesn't have to be God by name, just placeholder name. So, so when we do that developmental work of empowerment, it's absolutely essential. And the fact that it eventually leads to a surrender dynamic is beautiful. And we can only surrender if we are in an empowered place, if we are really, truly in a place to take complete responsibility. And then what happens in the surrender is, I take so much responsibility that I realize every time I exert my will, it's like holding up a stop sign to divine flow and saying, I got this. Don't worry. Or kinking the garden hose of divine presence. And so when we surrender, that garden hose opens up and more developmental work ensues. Hmm. Can't At we least that's how I see it. Can we just skip all that? Go to stage <laughs> four, just like, eh, I'm going to let go of everything and see what happens and whatever. <laughs> chill well i i mean i mean that's listen, what i would do i wouldn't it be wonderful right i, I this is such a, a i love this conversation gary because i think what you're giving voice to is certainly many things i felt and many things i hear from people and one of the things that i think is maybe a an interesting response to that is to ask the question well i mean okay great so how's that going you know like and the the challenge is that it's I mean, some people are able to surrender some things very easily. I think we all have surrendered some things very easily, so much so we don't even realize we've surrendered them. We just, they're just working, right? But the things that we're holding on to control with, there's a gift associated with that process. We're unwrapping more of the whole self. That's what the separate self is doing. It's delivering more of the wholeness. And the way the separate self gets animated is by having our buttons pushed, by having the stuff at the fan. And so some people will try to bypass, you know, they'll say, I'm going to, I'm going to engage in some plant medicine and that's going to be my, my pathway to, you know, to peace out. I'm going to Zen out in this dynamic, dust. right? Yeah. And I mean, but the thing is that I, I want to, 
the challenge is what is really going on inside. So, and especially in the era we're in, which is like the social media kind of projection, you know, every, I got my act together, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that it seems to me a lot of people feel sort of drawn to that kind of, that kind of perspective. And that perspective resonates deeply with the empowered and unintegrated self. You've got it figured out. Tell me how you got it figured out. And, you know, if somebody says, well, when, when it really gets to be too much, it's all plant medicine for me, man. It's all good, you know? But the thing is, like, I've worked with people who are in a plant medicine dynamic in private session. I've worked with them. And I'm not saying everyone has this experience. I'm just telling and sharing from my, my experience. What's happening for them is, okay, maybe I even open up to this incredible awareness, right? Let's say I'm doing psychedelics and I'm having all this spiritual awareness or marijuana and I'm having all this spiritual awareness. But the problem is it's not embodied. It's not integrated. It's a disembodied perspective. So ultimately, there's a disruption that's going on on the individual's part that they recognize at some level. It's not like someone else is saying to them, you didn't punch your card the right way, so you don't get this. It's that it's just not integrated. Mm -hmm. So, but here's the thing, like, I, I think I've said this to myself and I've said this to other people, but let's just make it about me for a minute. For sure, I've said to myself, okay, you, you think you can make this the way you want it to be? Great, let's go do it. Let's see how it works out. I mean, why not, right? Maybe this is going to be the thing that really makes the difference. And I think that's a very productive process. And I don't mean it from a place of um, condescension or anything like that. I think there's incredible learning that goes on in that dynamic. Is there any... From my experience, once we do that uh -huh. developmental work, though, we something different happens. So well, I didn't mean to speak like, over like, you. Like plant medicine, um, meditation, um, yoga, you know, living out in the nature, um, binaural beats, um, trance, shamanic work. They're all different modalities, but they're all sort of going towards the same type of insight where you know we're separating from the ego uh, i'm not sure i agree with that i mean i i think that might be the the headline that might be the the billboard sign but i first of all i'm not sure that separating from the ego is a, really what's going on i i don't perceive the ego as a problem any more than the separate self is a problem so i think there's an integrated expression of the ego just my perspective on that. But beyond that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call these things the same. I think that the, what happens through a process of meditation or doing deep inner work is different, fairly substantially different than, say, plant medicine, for example. And one of the reasons for that is this question of embodiment. It's, Look, think of it this way, Gary. Like, I, I don't know. You know, can you remember when you fell in love the first time? <laughs> like, you just fell head over heels in love? Did it happen? Yeah, I remember. Okay. So, before that point was 
falling in love important to you? Was that something that was sort of in the air for you? Like you were thinking about it. What can I, can I get there? Am I going to fall in love? What's it going to be like? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So maybe you read books, talked to friends, tried to figure it out. Right. And there were, there were certain ideas that you had about what falling in love was going to be. Right. I mean, you had, maybe you thought I'm going to be thinking this way. I'm going to be feeling this way. Now, when you, when you actually fell in love the first time, did those two things line up or those three things or all the stuff that was going on before you actually fell in love? Did it relate directly to what was happening for you experientially? No. It's like that exactly. with everything with me, though. Everything that I plan never comes out. What I, or, or Everything I visualize it never comes out to be what I visualized. Ever. Exactly. Never. Exactly. But the the reason I don't think that's about you in particular. I think that that's a truism for human beings. I, I mean, the way I would describe this is to say we have like um, we have these different classifications of knowledge. Let's say there's logical knowledge, there's experiential knowledge, and then there's embodied knowledge. And let's say logical knowledge is like math or applying logic to a situation. Let's say experiential knowledge is like the research you did before you fell in love. You know, it involved talking to people maybe who had fallen in love and so on. They're trying to describe it to you. And then there's embodied knowledge, which is totally different. It's in an entirely different class. And for sure, plant medicine leads to a kind of embodied knowledge. But the knowledge that is embodied in that experience in and of itself is disembodied. By that, I mean, if you're dropping the veil and you're having appear into consciousness, into the nature of divine expression or however we want to talk about it. doesn't, the language doesn't really matter. The experience of that is being chemically influenced, right? Whereas, and so it's a temporary dynamic. And so it tends to bring in a reliance on the chemistry or the plant or whatever to open the experience, which makes the integration or the embodiment of that into every part of life almost like a non-starter. Like, what am I going to do? Be dropping acid all the time? Or, you know what I mean? Like, how how do we take those ideas and experiences, that awareness, and integrate it into every part of life? Whereas, if we're, just for example, if we're meditating, it's, it's a lot slower, for sure, right? The process mm -hmm. of coming to that awareness is much slower. But the awareness itself opens at an embodied level that's different than what happens with plant medicine. And I mean, we have examples of this, right? I mean, Ram Das talked about this, right? Acid, he goes to India, meets his guru. The acid doesn't affect the guru at all, first of all. Second of all, there's this opportunity to have that experience without this, and then that process unfolds. And from my perspective, the reason why that sticks, the reason why there's something substantial there that's different than the hallucinogen or the plant medicine is because it's an embodied experience, because we're actually opening up to who we really are as undistorted experiences of and expressions of divinity. It's not an idea, though. We can have all the ideas we want about that. We can project from whatever stage of consciousness we're in and say, I know what it'll be like when I'm fully integrated. It'll be, 
And then usually it's like the opposite of whatever mess I'm dealing with, yes. you know, in my life. So anyway, I could go on about this. I'm obviously I'm just a little bit excited about all of this and I love the conversation that's unfolding. So being fully integrated, is that the same as reaching enlightenment? Sure. I mean, it's another way of talking about enlightenment, right? And I think one of the things that is important um, from my perspective to kind of, I mean, I remind myself of this all the time, and if others are open to it, to offer the gentle reminder, we are already fully integrated. We're already fully enlightened. We're fully embodied. We're whole. That's happening all the time. We're just not having an experience of it. And so if we think about our lives as an opportunity to have an integrated experience of that, uh, one way to think of it is there's this fourth version of us that's always going on. It's the integrated Gary. It's the integrated Ken. And, you know, and now I'm having an experience of the first Ken and then maybe the second Ken. And then every once in a while I come over and have this experience of myself. And if over the, this being the fourth version. And so if over time I'm having more and more experiences that are approaching or opening into this, then this starts to become the anchor point for my life. But it's not an idea that I had that I'm trying to project or imagine or hold an intention or create. It's something that's opening experientially that's embodied. I'm having a visceral experience of it. And as that experience grows, as I integrate more, as I address more and more of the animated separate self through, you know, all the ways the separate self gets animated, that experience becomes more and more substantial until a larger percentage of life is being experienced from that, that perspective. And the challenge is it's not a light switch on the wall, which is, of course, what the separate self wants. You know, mm -hmm. show me where that light switch is. I want to go flip it. And if it's in pill form, all the better. I'll pop three of them. Let's go. And, you know, we discover through experience, there's no pill, there's no magic wand, despite the fact that we tend to hear over and over again, oh, yeah, you know, if you, if you hold your intention in this way or, you know, uh, run your energy in this particular way, you're going to have a totally different experience of this. And, you know, the separate self is forever saying, oh, really? Okay, let me give that a shot because... We want the quick solution. We want the fast answer. So does that mean everybody has to give up everything and go live in a cave like an aesthetic? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, you know, I think maybe maybe the process of surrender is about releasing attachment, right? And what I would venture to guess is that, I mean, I'm happy to have this conversation with you, but... Let's say you and I, we get into the intimate details of what we don't want to let control of, mm -hmm. uh, let go of control around in our lives. And we could pick points in history or what's going on now for me, what's going on for now for you. I'm venturing to guess if you and I don't want to swap places, if we bring enough people into the conversation and they're willing to be equally, we're going to go, okay, I'll, I'll, you will, you can have mine and I'll take yours. And, right? right. Because we're, if you want to think of it this way, it's like, the whole self and the separate self are trying to figure out what do we have to do to integrate? So, I mean, basically, if you want to think about it this way, every single human being on the planet, we're all just doing exactly what we need to do to integrate. Nothing more, nothing less. So what I'm doing to integrate probably doesn't push the buttons of your separate self the way it does mine. And so you might gladly take on my stuff. And if not mine, definitely so-and-so's. Mm -hmm. 
And that tends to be how it is, right? It's sort of like if we discover our spiritual gifts, I can remember I made a really good friend who I was introduced to by a woman I worked on at an event, um, sort of a spontaneous opportunity to do some healing work that I resisted but ended up taking place. And after we came out of silence at this event, I said, what happened to you? Because the last time I'd seen her, you know, she was, she went from sort of violently ill while I was working with her to talking and I thought, I guess we're done and left the room and then we were in silence. I went up to her and I said, hey, what happened? And she said, the most powerful healing I've ever experienced. Do you want clients? And before I could say no, I said yes. And so anyway, she connected me up with this guy. And he and I were talking, you know, I'm discovering my gifts and so on. And and uh, he was describing his gifts. And, you know, we even did work on people together. Like he would have clients and he'd say to them, hey, I've, I've got this friend, Ken. And, you know, do you mind if we work on you together? And at one point I said to him, oh, Tim. I want what you have. I want your gifts. Your gifts are so cool. And he said, oh, Ken. And he had some very clever way of doing this, but he basically said, oh, Ken, I want your gifts. That's just, it's sort of like, I want your surrender process. And then, by the way, I want your gifts too, because my process and my gifts don't seem that interesting to me or they're too painful for me to address. And, and yet, when we sit in that gifted place and interact with others and support others, something profound comes through in that place. Does everybody have a gift? I think so, for sure. Yeah, I mean, divine presence is, in my view, in my experience, in equal measure in every human being, no matter what's been done to us or what we've done to other people. And one way to think of a gift is just it's divine, raw divine expression as you, which is, of course, who you are. Often when people discover their gifts, they're like, really? That's that's a gift? I mean, they're like, ah, this is no big deal. This is just kind of didn't happen to be my experience of that. But for uh, often it is that way for people. Mm. Because my gift is being a cranky old man. <laughs> Tip of the hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... What is the point though? Like, like what happens once you reach like an enlightened state and you're in your, and you're using that as your anchor? What, what next? I mean, after that, there's nothing left to do, right? Yeah. Well, thank God it's not overnight, right, Gary? Cause that'd be really boring, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I want everything overnight. You know, that's why I have Amazon Prime. <laughs> there you go. We're talking about spiritual Amazon Prime here. You know, I, I, I order up. This is the integration. Do you want it in two-day delivery or do you want to pay $2.99 for delivery this afternoon between 4 and 7 p.m.? Yeah, I'll, ta- I'll pay the $2.99. I want, I want that integration this afternoon. Exactly. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. One, one of the things that, I mean, I, I have a sense of it, but I mean, just to sort of appreciate the, the challenge of it, one of the things that I think can happen in this journey of integration is the integrated experience compared to the separate experience is boring, <laughs> right? I mean, one of the hallmarks of separation is there's lots of drama, lots and lots of drama. The separate self is addicted to drama, right? So in this, in this process of integration, sort of the, the areas of life that start to integrate, it's like, uh, some people, respond to that with, uh, I, I like this other stuff over here because we tend to get it sort of addicted to the drama. But anyway, uh, another way to say that is that the things that unfold in wholeness are just fulfilling in ways that are very difficult to imagine. 
but they sustain. It's one of the reasons why I love the word resonance. You know, resonance has a particular meaning for me. I'm guessing your meaning is different than mine, but we could talk about things that resonate for us, and each of us are having our own meaning. We don't have to impose it on one another. Resonance that sustains is always a function of what is integrated. And resonance that is temporary or dissonance that sustains is always a function of things that are unintegrated. Often, the unintegrated self is throwing a projection like, when this is integrated, it's going to mean, you know, things work out the way I want them to. Or I end up with the dream car I've been trying to manifest all these years or whatever. You know, whatever the thing is, I'm, my life has meaning and fulfilling in this particular way. And in my experience, it doesn't really turn out like that. It's, it's more fulfilling and profoundly meaningful, but not in a way that I could have ever dreamt up before. I mean, right. It's always going to be different than what we, like we mentioned earlier. It's always going to be everything we think of or expect or whatever never happens. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, and I'm certainly not trying to pretend that my life is fully integrated, not even close. But I would say for the experiences that I have that are integrated, they offer maybe the most profound and meaningful experiences for me. And, but if, if you backed up and asked my younger self from 10 or 15 years ago and tried to describe as best you could with words, what those integrated experiences are for me, that version of me would have said, what are you talking about? That's, I don't even care about that. I don't, this isn't, but if you ask me today, is this among the most meaningful experiences you've had in your life? I would say without a doubt. So if the process of life is a process of integration and the good news is it's not overnight, it's not an Amazon, it's not Amazon spirituality. So we, we don't have to worry about it just happening overnight like that. So we, we get to engage in it over, you know, a protracted period of time. And as we integrate, it seems to me fulfillment, perhaps unlike anything we've ever been familiar with before begins to unfold a meaning settles in resonance in whatever way is meaningful from that perspective that sustains unfolds and maybe most critically it's the end of suffering there is no more suffering so if that sounds meaningful you know my call 1-800 spiritual amazon you know, <laughs> but, but my experience is with like some of the with my own ex- personal experience you know, with like a near death experience. And, and, yeah. and a lot of my other guests who've had similar experiences is, um, afterwards, it's not like you find life boring. I found it after that type of experience to find life almost intolerable. Right. Compared to being part of that oneness. Right. Now life right. is, life is like, oh, it's like, Nails on a chalkboard all the time. It's not yeah. like that experience made me peaceful. Right, right. But that, I mean, if I can suggest, the from my perspective, the reason for that is that what is now in the queue is what's unintegrated. So the life, the nails on the chalkboard experience is just illuminating those aspects that are now in the queue to integrate. And when they do, that experience will expand more and more of this life 
will begin being like that. But for sure, the contrast, I mean, that's the thing about a near-death experience that's so extraordinary about it. It's an embodied experience, even though you could say it's an out-of-body experience, but mm-hmm. it's it's a direct encounter with some aspect beyond the veil, right, of what is real. And I think it gives us a preview, an opening into what is available here and now. And, yeah. It's interesting that, like, like after that experience, you used the word real. When you return from that, you're real. The thing is, though, you're like, well, this isn't real. Right. You know, this is just uh, a bad dream in some some respects, right. you know. Right. It's a bad dream that I have to learn some crazy lesson about or whatever so I can move on to the next bad dream or maybe a slightly better dream. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just weird. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never had, at least not in this lifetime, that I am I think I'm consciously living right now. I, I haven't had a near-death experience, so I don't have an embodied experience of, of what you're making reference to. But I've worked with a lot of people who have had near-death experience, and I think it is a... I haven't worked with a ton of them, so I'm, I'm certainly not trying to make some claim in totality here. But it seems to me that one of the common themes that I've noticed, whether or not it applies more broadly, I don't know, is the absolute frustration and challenge with, I had that experience, why am I not able to sustain it? I saw what was real, I saw the purpose of my life, but I'm here dealing with this bleep (laughs) this nightmare and this is so frustrating to me and what is the point of all of this and um i i'm i can imagine i believe i have witnessed how challenging that is for people and you know there's there's really i mean you can't say somebody who's you know, use plant medicine or used acid or something like this. Um, there, there's not a parallel between those experiences and a near death experience. I mean, maybe there's a little glimpse of it, but it's, it's, it's not embodied. It's not as comprehensive on and on and on. So only somebody who's had a near death experience has, is able to make reference to that personally. And from my perspective, you, it's like you have that anchored experience of four. You, the, the fourth edition of you is not a theory. You right. have had it. But, but it doesn't happen as a result of working towards it. it you know what I mean? It's not like I, I was, you know, I want to have this experience. I want to have this experience. No, it's a result of, I don't know, a dysfunction of my body. Yeah, yeah. Basically damn near dying, right? Or dying and then coming back from that. Yeah. I mean, this is the challenge, right? It's we have these experiences. I mean, maybe they're near-death experiences or other integrated experiences. And they come without a lot of developmental work, let's say. So it just appears. And maybe it appears in a dynamic in nature, maybe it appears in a near-death experience, maybe it occurs in a 
uh, sexual encounter with your beloved. I, there are lots of different places that it shows up and accidents and on and on, right? All these things, there's this incredible clarity, all this insight shows up and then it's not available anymore. What happens to that? And so in my work, you know, whether somebody has that anchor consciously or not, I am supporting people from an idea perspective to some degree, but the bulk of my work is experiential. So if you want to think of it in this language, the way that God expresses through me or divinity or source or whatever your name for the experience when you had your near-death experience was for that energy, that energy, the way it moves through me, it enlivens something within the people that I am with in a way that doesn't connect to a rational cause. It is an opening into the experience of that integrated self. And as a result, there are things like spontaneous healings that happen and all sorts of other things that are very, very difficult to understand rationally. There's no kind of conventional causality to them. And as those experiences expand, they become an anchor point that perhaps eventually can join with the near-death experience, but be anchored in this body, in this life, through the vessel that is breathing and so on, that is the cranky old man or whatever, you know, however we all show up. And over time, it's much less in my experience about trying to understand it or know it or be able to trace it out and get how it all flows together mm -hmm. as much as it is being in the experience. And so if there's a way to consciously engage in that experience, then that's what I encourage people to do. And for people that resonate with, with my work, with the way divinity expresses through me, you know, I just encourage them. Let's, let's sit together, let's explore. And I try to make those available in you know, super accessible ways. I offer free programs and, and paid programs as well. But the point is, I don't like dial it down in the free program. You know, I've got a, a 17 week, uh, self study program that's available on my website right now. It's totally free, you know, and it's, it's a robust experience. You know, I'll teach a little bit in each session and then I'll, I facilitate a transmission and experience. And then there's a Q and A and people that are taking the self study can ask questions and I'll respond to them in writing in the online forum, but it is hard work for sure. It's definitely hard work what we're talking about. And, you know, the kind of scrambled, I don't know how you would describe it, but the way I'm interpreting what you're talking about or how I experience what you're saying is, yeah, I had this experience, but instead of opening peace, it kind of messed me up. Yeah. It's, it, it created, I haven't heard you use this language, but in my language, it created a contrast between how profoundly peaceful that was and just how messed up my everyday life is. And that contrast scrambled things for me pretty dramatically. And don't let, I'm not trying to project on you here. I'm, I'm just mm -hmm. saying that's how I, I'm hearing, experiencing what you're talking about. And, and there's a part of me that really gets that, at least as best I can. And I mean, maybe it's the way I'm wired. Maybe it's my personality, but it's more than just an idea for me. It's an experience I've had over and over again with 
thousands, tens of thousands of people all around the world, different belief systems, people who don't believe anything, whatever, that causes me to say these words of encouragement, which is, it's a starting place. I get that it's not comfortable. I get that it doesn't feel good. And, you know, what can happen now? What's available now there? And, you know, in my case, it's not just a hypothetical question. Like, you know, let's drop into session. Let's, let's go into transmission. Let's open into that space and see what's there to do. And, you know, when I'm in session with people, often it's just entirely in silence. I'm not talking. I'm not, not being guided to share anything with words. We're just in an experience and hopefully that is unfolding below the level of language at that. Maybe it's not at the full depth of where you were at in the near death experience initially. Maybe it never gets there, but is starting to approximate the depth of that in, in the experience in consciousness. So you used the word transmission and it sounds like you're like sitting down and meditating with people and doing exchange. So, so is that something like a Dharma transmission? No. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think I'm weird on so many different levels, Gary. So, <laughs> I was going to say, here's another weird thing about me, but maybe everything about me is weird. That I'm using language that I've just sort of plucked out of the air because it is a way that I can attempt to try to convey something that's going on. But it's not a transmission from me to you. Let's say if you and I are in session together. Right. It's coming from the divine. Probably just using exactly. you as a channel. I got that. Yeah. I, I don't even know. I mean, maybe I'm a channel. I, I feel like I'm a witness. I, I feel like the yeah, the divine in me is enlivening something in you that's already in you. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's even going through me, if, if you understand what I'm trying to say. But anyway, it, you were going to ask me something more specific about this, I think. No, is it a Dharma trend? I don't think it is. I don't think there's a, I mean, here's another thing that's sort of odd about me. I, I don't have experience with a bunch of other modalities in spiritual dynamics. So my, I end up working with people who are world renowned psychics and astrologers and blah, blah, blah. And they'll say things to me that they think are part of the ABCs of spirituality and everyone knows them. And my response is, I have no idea what you're talking about and they can't even conceive of how I could be working with them in the way that I am and not understand whatever it is that they've just referenced. So all I can say is that the thing that gets reflected back to me from people who have had really substantial, profound experiences. I mean, people who were in Maharishi's flying rooms where there were mattresses on the walls and they would levitate and fly into the walls while they were meditating with Maharishi. Mm -hmm. I didn't go looking these people. I just randomly ended up, it's not really random, but you know what I mean. I didn't look for them. And I worked with a ton of them uh, early on in my career. And people consistently, it's not like I was prompting them, hey, how, do, how does this feel to you? Or, you know, would you say this about your experience? They would just, these exact words came out of every single one of their mouths. That was the deepest spiritual experience of my life. And I mean, from my standpoint, I'm thinking, how is that even possible? <laughs> like, what, what is it that's going on here? And over time, all I can say is there is a profound opening and it's unfolding in the context of their central nervous system in a way that's very difficult to articulate. Hmm. Have you ever levitated? 
Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. I felt like I was close at times, but yeah, not that I'm aware of. So you've never tried any of that levitation, walking on hot coals? No, I mean, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways I'm kind of a boring, uh, boring person. Um, here's a kind of a funny, I, when people are in transmission with me, they think they fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So this buddy of mine, you know, who said, I want your gifts way back when, who was in one of those rooms with Maharishi. He said someday, because he knew I didn't like the term guru, he said someday you're going to be known as the boring guru, Ken. And, you know, ha, ha, ha. And so it happens so frequently that, like, when I do a class or, a, like, an event or something, I'll tell people, lots and lots of people think they're falling asleep when we're in transmission together. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you're not asleep. But as to what's happening, here's the best description I can give you. Your conscious mind is unable to stay consciously aware of what's unfolding. The depth of the work is more than what can stay aware of. So you drop out. But what you'll notice is that you'll hear right before you drop out, and then you'll hear right after you come back. And those words will be jammed up right next to each other. And there might be an hour that took place in the middle of that. So... I mean, yeah. I mean, I've had people say to me, I, you know, this all sounds profound, but you're this big white guy. I don't, I don't want, you know I mean, so it's like I, I bust, God broke the mold with me. I'm kind of a plain vanilla, you know, I look like a retired American football player. I'm six foot five. I'm not a delicate physical presence. When I laugh, I guffaw. I haven't had, you know, a near-death experience or kind of any of these is sort of obviously recognizable, extraordinary kind of dynamics. Instead, my hands and feet just started buzzing and crazy stuff, trying to leave my words G-rated here, crazy stuff started happening. And yeah, and the craziest part about it, I think for me at least, is what happens with the people I work with because you know, it's not like I'm sitting there pulling strings going, oh, yeah, let's let's do something with this person that they they would never guess. You know, I and if they don't tell me, I have no idea what's unfolding. Is it possible that what you're able to do is something that all human beings are able to do? It's just latent in all of us. It hasn't For sure. yet been awakened. For sure. I think that's entirely possible. Yeah. I mean, when I I teach a, a series of um, courses in it. At some point, we start talking about gifts, and one of the things that I do in those more advanced programs is teach what I call witnessing presence, which is just a way of kind of dropping into the depth of one's being expression at such depth that you begin to encounter other people and um, eventually everyone and everything. And um, so it's not like I'm trying to establish a modality or teach how God expresses through me. It's just a way of experientially showing people there's so much more going on here than we begin to understand. And it's available to all of us. Um, I, there's an experience that I, I love doing with groups like that because often we have this idea in separation. I'm going to send somebody love. I'm going to send them healing. I'm going to send energy to them. And so once I've taught people how to do come to witnessing presence, 
I'll ask for a volunteer in the group who's got a bunch of noise going on today and is willing to be vocal about it. Somebody will raise their hand in a virtual setting. They'll raise their hand virtually. And I'll say, okay, the only requirement is that you leave the mic open if you're, if we're in person or if it's virtual that you leave your, your mic open on the zoom call or whatever on the audio. And your job is to give a stream of feedback to describe as best you can what's happening for you. Are you willing to do that? And eventually somebody will agree. I don't think I've had anyone turn it down ever initially. And I'll say to the group, okay. And then I'll say to them, okay, I want, tell us your story. Tell us about whatever the dynamic is that's really stirring you up. So they'll tell their story. You can tell for three minutes, blah, blah, blah. Here's my story. So now everyone has an idea. We've all been present with them. And I'll tell the group, okay, send energy to so-and-so. So everyone starts sending energy. Hold your intention, focus on them, send them exactly what you think they need, blah, 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 whatever. You know, however that shows up for you, you know, deploy all your modalities, whatever you've learned through your life, do all that for them. And the person in the middle says, oh my gosh, there's, oh, this is so amazing, da, da, da. And I go, okay, now, everyone, drop your intention and sit back in your chair energetically. So they do that. And the person who's being witnessed or sitting in the center in the hot seat, they go, oh my God, this is so expansive. Oh my gosh, what's happening right now? And they're hearing me give direction to the group. And I say to the group, okay, now we're going to descend to that first way station on the way to witnessing presence. Do that now. So at this point, the only focus they have is within themselves. They've now taken all of their awareness and directed it entirely within themselves, each person in the circle. No longer is there any awareness of the person in the center. None. Go in here. And the person in the center of the group is like, oh my God, da-da-da-da-da. I mean, some, some people, like, after we do this a little bit, they're like, I wonder if I'm going to start levitating. <laughs> like, it's incredible what happens. And that's just like an opening kind of dynamic. So can everyone uh, be a witness to this? expression of divine presence absolutely and maybe in you know much more extraordinary ways for sure each of us in a unique way mm -hmm. and maybe latent in terms of our conscious awareness but totally available to each and every one of us and it's really fun and extraordinary to support people in opening up to that experience i mean it's quite moving do you think we all have the ability to heal each other I do, but I, I would qualify my answer a little bit. I, to me, the term healing, I think what most people mean by that is figure out what's wrong and then fix it so there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. What I mean is witness someone as they really are. And how we really are is not broken, not flawed, not, not diseased, not any of these things. And so... You know, that's not a projection. It's not a, I'm imagining you, Gary, as whatever, you know, the version of you that you had in the NDE. It's, I just see you as you are. Undistorted divine expression, divine light. And over time, you begin to have an experience of yourself in that way. And then you might have an experience of something being healed. And I mean, what I would describe that as, as a byproduct of the experience of wholeness rather than healing but whatever you know mm -hmm. maybe i'm just splitting hairs no i've heard that before too there's more of a yeah. side effect than 
anything else. Yeah, I mean, I, if the illusion of separation is the cause of all of this noise, all of these distortions, you know, if we look at the illusion of separation, we can manipulate it. We can do all sorts of things, but we're still playing in an illusion. Whereas if we focus on and open to the wholeness, not as a projection, but as a fact, something completely different happens. And as you say, the healing is the byproduct. Awesome. So this has been a fascinating interview. Thank you for coming on and talking with me. And before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Oh, and you do have a book coming out, right? Yeah, I've got a book coming out at some point. It's um, it's not, I don't know when it's going to be launched. But yeah, the best place is to come to my website, KenWStone.com. And if you're interested in having an experience of uh, some of the things that I'm talking about, I would really encourage uh, anyone who's curious to register for Exploring Divine Resonance, there's a link right on the homepage. It's totally free. You'll get a login to my online learning platform, and it'll drop you an email with your login information, and then you'll get an email once a week with each week's program. And actually, the whole program's available. So if you really want to get wound up, you can go through it as fast as you want. And um, and the book, the book's called Resonance, The Path of Spiritual Mastery, and I hope it's coming soon. <laughs> it's still it's still in the refinement and final birthing aspect in my interior process. Um, it takes yeah. longer to edit than it does to write on. Yeah, and there's a refinement in consciousness that's going on for me right now. And I won't bore with the details, but there's just some refinement happening around the transmission under the words that is bringing the book to um, a different sort of it's cleaning the transmission, if you will. And, uh, and I, I, that I am, I am not the byproduct of it. I'm a participant in it, but I am not the director of that process. So, so it unfolds as it will. Awesome. Well, and, thank you again. And I'll put the link to your you. website in the notes of this episode. And, uh, love to have you back on again sometime. And I'd love to come back. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. You're welcome. Hang on for one moment while I play the outro. Recording stopped. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Just remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe.